When I first started writing about construction, I came upon a modular house. A friend of mine was building a modular house and I went over to watch the house being set. And I thought it was just magical. I, and I went in the morning, by the evening, this whole house was basically finished and I was able to walk through it. And as I started researching, I realized all of the advantages of building prefab. I mean, there are so many advantages. Today, it seems like everyone is talking about downsizing. People are really taking the saying, less is more, to heart. In a reversal of a decades-long trend where it seemed as if even too much wasn't enough, now a growing number of people are looking to get rid of all those things that they don't really need. One area where this has become evident is in housing. The old days where people wanted to trade up to the largest place they could afford are seemingly gone. Now it's all about smaller homes. But what's changed? Why are people looking to trade their big homes for something smaller? Oftentimes a lot smaller. Hi, I'm Jane Singer and thank you for taking the time out of your day to join me here on A Seat at the Table. It's really great to have your company and I hope that you enjoy learning from the many industry leaders, innovators, entrepreneurs and authors who are guests on the show and that, like me, you benefit from their expertise, experience, and insights. A Seat at the Table is now listened to in 92 countries, and it's great to know that we're able to bring together such an esteemed international community here on the show. If you want to learn more about the small house movement, then the person to ask is Sherry Kunis. While most people were still thinking that bigger was better, Sherry was publishing the first in her series of books on small houses. As we now know, she was ahead of the curve. She's a best-selling author and acknowledged international expert, not only on small houses, but also on more sustainable construction practices. And in case you were wondering, and I know I was, these new smaller homes can be just as luxurious and customized as bigger houses. In this podcast, Sherry talks about what's driving the movement to downsizing, why prefab construction is the next big thing, and how smaller homes can support the work-from-home lifestyle. Before we get started, if you're an apparel industry executive and are constantly feeling overwhelmed by the daily deluge of information and news, some of which is really just noise, if you know what I mean, then why not take a look at Inside Fashion's news briefings? You get concise executive summaries of top news and industry trends that keep you up to date in only a few minutes. You can learn more at InsideFashionLive.net. That's InsideFashionLive.net. I'll put a link in the show notes and also on a seat at the table's website. Now, let's join Sherry and start thinking small. Well, Sherry, I'm, I am so happy to finally have you on a seat at the table. We've <laughs> talked about this for a long time. I'm, I'm a huge fan of your books, and I, I think that you were so far ahead of the curve when you recognized this downsizing or, or, you know, moving to smaller homes, because certainly in the U.S., the trend had been to move to bigger and bigger, right? People would, would start with a starter house. They'd get that mid house. They'd move to a, a grander house. It was always that upward trajectory. And then now we've seen a tipping point where people are voluntarily looking for something smaller, um, downsizing, right-sizing, call it what you will. But you were onto this long before the rest of the clan. So I'm, I'm really interested to talk to you about what you see and, and what you've been writing about in terms of housing in particular. Do you see a correlation sort of between this downsizing and also 
a movement towards sustainability or do you think they're just independent of each other? No, I think that people are thinking about sustainability as well as downsizing in small houses. I think the population is changing, whereas older people used to perhaps move in with their children or move into assisted living or communities. A lot of seniors today are living independently, and so they want to live in... They want to live in a smaller house. They might want to live in a different location than they lived in when they were bringing up their children. So maybe they want to move to the South. Maybe they want to live closer to their children. So there's a lot of parameters and they are thinking about smaller housing and where it's more comfortable. And all of the people that I spoke to that are senior citizens are saying that they also don't want to pay big energy bills. So they're thinking about building their house more sustainable and more energy efficient. And so there's a lot of seniors today that are building um, smaller houses. In addition, there's a lot of millennials who are now graduating with huge loans. And so they can't afford to buy an expensive home the way they might have years ago. They're getting married later. They're having fewer children. And a lot of the millennials that I've spoken to, they just want smaller housing. And again, they also, they don't want to pay big energy bills. And in both cases, people want less maintenance. Like young people today, they want to go on bicycling trips and go to exercise and they don't want to be spending their weekends maintaining a house. And it's the same thing with seniors. They are moving to a smaller house and they don't want to bring their time maintaining a house. So they just want to be able to go and uh, visit with friends, et cetera. So there's a big move to smaller housing. Yeah, I think that's really a good point. I think there's, in a sense, the pride of ownership, but there's also the burden of ownership. And Mm -hmm. I think that you're right. People are starting to look at it from a new point of view and saying that if I own this place, like you say, people don't realize until you actually get into it how much work it is to maintain a house. And like you said, the costs, energy, property taxes, constant repairs, you know, it's it's a lot. (laughs) So... um... Most of the people are saying that this is much more uh, preferable to them to live smaller and and to and to make their life easier. Some people are saying to me, but what happens now? A lot of people are working from home, and so don't they need space at home to work? And the answer is, in my new book, um, Bigger Than Tiny, Smaller Than Average, there's uh, several houses that are quite small and people built in niches and different work areas so that they could work at home and be very comfortable. They're also developing larger outdoor space so that they can be outside. And some people might even want to sit outside and do their work. So um, all of the houses in this book are under 2000 square feet and they all made space for working. Most of the people that I wrote about were all working at home and they developed places that were comfortable for them to work. I think that's a really good point because what you do point out in your book is that if you purpose build things, you can create a lot of of livable space, so to speak, in a place that's not very big because you're you're designing it from a more efficient point of view. 
When I started writing about housing, I started with talking about housing in general. But as I continued writing, this is my 10th book. As I continued writing, I saw that it was just as easy to build a sustainable, energy efficient house as it was build one that was not. So that's where I've kind of evolved to. Right, right. You've written nine best-selling books with number 10 on the way. What triggered your interest in this sector of the housing market? Well, again, I saw that that was really kind of the uh, wave of the future. People are are grabbing up the small houses, particularly in the last couple of years when during the pandemic, when people were leaving the city, they were used to living in very small spaces. And when they were moving to a house, they didn't want an enormous house. They wanted something that was a small scale. And there's limited amount. And so people started building them. And so all of the houses that I wrote about are mostly very recently built, and they were built to accommodate these families, either uh, seniors that are downsizing or younger people. And this, I think, is really the wave of the future. This is typical of other countries. Places like Japan, the houses have always been smaller. Yeah, Um, tiny, right. Yeah. People are much more economical. There's also this big interest in tiny houses, which I don't think are very practical because they are not particularly safe. I mean, they're great for a certain population that's on the move, young people that are just out of college and they're moving around. But in general, they're not very safe in um, earthquake areas or places with heavy storms. So um, I think that they have a place, but there's a lot of interest in that. And the small house kind of um, meets that need without being unsafe and 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 having all the 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 better qualities that somebody would want in a house so what would be what would define tiny in terms of square footage versus small okay so the word tiny indicates a house that is mobile it's on wheels okay and it doesn't have any certification so the houses that i that i'm writing about are all um, code compliant. Oh, okay. So I do have, as you might have noticed, there's a house in the book that's about 450 square feet, and it could be a tiny house, but it's not. It's it's right. on a foundation. It has a basement, so it it's just a small house. Okay. Now, when we think of small housing, we tend to think of budget housing, right? Is that a misconception? I mean, is there such a thing as a a small house, but that's a luxury home? Absolutely. That is actually another trend that I I was seeing when I was writing this book. There are people that instead of putting their money into space, extra space, they're putting it into quality. So they're they're having really beautiful appliances and really beautiful materials. In one case, they have this very beautiful fireplace that's expensive. So people are putting it into the materials and and all the other things that go into the house rather than putting it into making their house expansive. So they are not exclusive. Right, right. I think that's interesting uh, that you're, like you said, you're able to take that extra money that you're saving on the size of the house and invest it in a truly luxury environment. And 
if you're if you design it, you have certainly enough living space, like you were saying. So you're not really trading. You're not really sort of living in a shoebox, so to speak. Right. I think the trick is to have a very well designed house. All of the houses in my books are architecturally designed, so they are designed with the space that people need, so that they are very comfortable. Like a lot of the houses today, uh, like. Actually, what Frank Lloyd Wright did is he made the common areas larger and the bedrooms smaller because people are not spending that much time there. Right. So a lot of the houses, they're, they're being built much more uh, practically and with indicated workspaces. I have one house in the book where people from a house that was very similar in size, but it was better designed. And so they said it was just a much more comfortable space. I like your reference to Frank Lloyd Wright because he was sort of a pioneer from the point of view of building a house to suit the lifestyle of the people who are going to live in that house, as opposed to simply building it from an architectural point of view, which is we need this many bedrooms, we need a living room of this size or a kitchen of that size. So I, th- I think that that's interesting that now people are looking at it and the house is being built thinking about, well, who's going to live in this house? What's their lifestyle like? And how do we build it around that? And all of the houses have are being built today with larger outdoor spaces to accommodate their lifestyle. Again, to expand the size of the house, even if you have a small house, if you have a large outdoor area, it, you know, it really makes the house feel much bigger than it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's nice because you also aren't right on top of the neighbor, right? So you have a little more privacy. And like you said, you have you have that feeling of space. And a lot of people are not going anyplace right now. So right. <laughs> they're using that outdoor space for dining and for entertaining. And so it's, it is much more necessary today than perhaps in the past. Oh, absolutely. Now, I think, you know, one of the interesting things that you've brought up in your books is not just about the size of the space and not just about building purpose, building it, but a lot of you've you've touched upon a lot of the building materials and a lot of new things that are being used in these homes from energy efficiency, I think also low maintenance, things like that. What are some of the specific things that you see coming into these homes? Well, um, energy recovery ventilators are a big thing in around the world, and they haven't been used very often in this country. And that's that's a mechanism whereby they trade the outside air with the inside air, and they bring in fresh air, but they heat or cool the air that's coming in so that you're not losing the energy that you have. And it's much more healthy. And if you look at, I did a book several years ago, Prefabulous World, and almost every house had this. So that's something that people are doing. More people are including solar panels and they are putting uh, batteries in their house so that they can save the energy that they're capturing. And I even have a few houses now in this book where they're putting in charging stations for their for their electric cars. So wow. I think that's something that's really uh, beginning to develop. People are much more interested in insulation and people are in general much more educated about construction than they were years ago, whereas people just wanted granite countertops. What I'm seeing, especially (laughs) with these 
architecturally um, designed houses. And all the architects that I deal with are really superior architects that know what they're doing. And they and there's real concern for using materials that are going to be energy efficient and low maintenance and that are going to make life a lot better. And by adding some of these things that may be a little bit exp- more expensive, they're saving on energy in the long run. Right. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Are they also trying to use in these homes, aside from on the energy side of things, more recycled or sustainable materials? Or is really the sustainability aspect more focused specifically at this time on energy saving? No, I think people are using recycled um, wood and they're thinking about things that can be recycled or if they can use things that have been recycled, they are definitely using it. I think, again, the consumer today is so much smarter than they were. With the computers, a lot of people are just researching things. They're researching different methods of construction, and the houses are being built so much more intelligently than they might have been years ago. Right. I I think that's great to hear because as you point out, and I think anyone who's lived in a home can tell you that you don't learn about these inefficiencies until you're actually in the house living there and then facing this or that problem, right? So the fact that now people are aware, not just of, as you're saying, how does the house look, but what's the functional side of it is really interesting and that they care about that. Now you mentioned in your book, several types of construction. And one of which, which I thought was pretty interesting was prefab, you know, prefabricated. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, when I, again, when I first started writing about construction, I came upon a modular house. A friend of mine was building a modular house and I went over to watch the house being set. And I thought it was just magical. I, And I went in the morning, by the evening, this whole house was basically finished and I was able to walk through it. And as I started researching, I realized all of the advantages of building prefab. I mean, there are so many advantages. And I started out with modular. I wrote a book called Modular Mansions because people, when I would meet them and I would say, I was so fascinated with modular, they would say, oh, those tacky little houses. Right. So just to kind of reverse that thinking, I wrote a book on the largest modular modular houses around. But then wow. I started realizing that there were many other types of prefab construction. And so I started writing, I have a whole series of prefabulous books written about different types of, of prefab. And you know, I could go through the advantages. They're so vast. Um, as personally, I would never consider building a house other than prefabricated. Really? Wow. So what what fascinated you about it? What do you see as the advantages? Well, the first thing, it's faster. I mean, theoretically, you could build a house in three months. So whereas when you're building a house on site, it could take a year to several years to build a house. It is less expensive from the standpoint of the manufacturer, they're buying, for example, windows, they might buy Anderson windows, and they'll buy them in bulk and use them. So and the shipping costs from the manufacturer to the construction company, they're sending one time instead of 
you know, 25 times to a job site. So that's an advantage. And it's, there is a, a savings. There's also less waste. So they're more environmentally friendly. Prefab companies, when they cut off wood from one house, they might put it on a, in a storage and use it on another house. So, and what they don't use, very often they put out for, their, for the neighbors so they can use it for firewood. They also recycle any of the metal and other materials that they're using in the construction. There's also no wasted time. So in factories, people are working all the time. They can work 12 months a year. They don't have to worry about any kind of weather conditions or so forth. Interesting. Are you able to get customization, though? I think that probably one of the big questions people would say is that I understand all the benefits in terms of of speed and in terms of reduced waste and, and reduced cost on prefab, but there's that sense, right? Oh, so all the houses look the same, right? How are you able to, of course, inside you'll decorate it as you wish, but how are you able to create externally houses that don't look like a cookie cutter house? Well, when, when prefab was in the early stages, they were little boxes. And when I started writing about prefab, I had a house that I covered that they did the first floor, but they couldn't put a second floor on because it had an interesting roof line. Today, that's not the case. They can build almost anything in prefab. And there are many types of prefab. People think of prefab as being modular, but there's something called structural insulated panels and panelization and kit houses. And all of the houses that I'm writing about are all architecturally designed. So none of them are little boxes and none of them are you know, kind of track houses. They're all really interesting, attractive houses. There's no, there's no loss of style because you're building prefab. Oh, that's really great. Yeah. I mean, there's when people, people still meet me and I, they hear that I'm writing about prefab and they say, oh, those are like little tacky boxes. And I say, you know, take a look at my books. I mean, the houses in my books are gorgeous. And even um, in this book, this last book that I did, I included um, site built houses and remodels and things like that. But I always include some prefab because I'm, I am in such a fan of prefab construction. Oh, I think I think it's great. And I really appreciate getting these insights from you. Certainly your book is, or the books that you've written on that have really changed my opinion on it. Because previously, I would have also thought they were like little boxes. And your books certainly prove otherwise. Now, your 10th book is coming out this spring. What differentiates this book from the others? What's What's the focus? What makes it special? Okay, so this book is really focused on small houses. And where the, the last book that I did on um, small houses was all prefabricated. This book has all different types of houses. And um, people very often uh, comment, oh, your houses are all very luxury. And, and I couldn't afford to buy that house. A lot of the houses in this book were done on a budget. People did them along uh, a timeline. They didn't just do everything all at once when they renovated a house. I have an architect who built a house and who renovated a house and she kept um, altering the house along the way. So these houses are 
are all very energy efficient, sustainable. Some of them were done along a timeline and they're all extremely special. And I think a lot of a lot of consideration was taken to workspaces, which I think is so important today because so many people are working at home. So there are a lot of the houses, even I have a small ADU, uh, accessory dwelling unit, and these two girls built it on the parents' property. And they, even though it's a very small house, they have a little workspace that can be curtained off so mm. that they work. So there's a lot of a lot of consideration to the way people live today. It certainly is timely. I mean, it, the timing couldn't have been better, you know, like you're saying, and the whole movement towards working from home is certainly making people rethink their their home environment. Now, where can people find your the nine books that are out now and the tenth one that's coming? Is is there a website? I know it's pro they're probably on Amazon, but right. do you also have a website? I do. I have a, it's www.sherrykunis.com. But all of my books are available on all of the um, the large sites like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Books a Million. But also a lot of small stores are carrying my books. I always try to encourage people to buy books in uh, neighborhood store bookstores. And yeah, so they're very available. The, the new book will be coming out March 15th, and it's already available for pre-order. And I'm excited to see how many people are pre-ordering this book. I think I've sort of touched a nerve with this new book. Yeah, I, I think you definitely have. And I'm going to put all these links in the show notes so that okay. people will be able to take a look for themselves. It's such an exciting topic. And I want to really thank you for taking the time for joining us on a seat at the table today. I've learned a tremendous amount and it's gotten me thinking about tiny homes that, or small homes, as you say, in a way that I hadn't have thought about them before. Well, that's great. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm always interested in getting people to be more knowledgeable about home construction. It's a fascinating topic to me. If you enjoyed this episode of A Seat at the Table, join me each week when I sit down with industry leaders, innovators, entrepreneurs, and authors who share their expertise, experience, and insights about succeeding in business and in life. And if you're an apparel industry executive who's constantly feeling overwhelmed by the daily deluge of information and news, much of which is just noise that's piling up in your inbox, why not take a look at Inside Fashion's news briefings? You get concise executive summaries of top news and industry trends, so you can keep up to date in only a few minutes. You can learn more at InsideFashionLive.net. That's InsideFashionLive.net. I'll also put a link in the show notes. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Jane Singer, and I'll see you in the next podcast.